The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. You are listening to Crosscheck Substance Abuse Radio, hosted by two-time Stanley Cup winner and hockey legend Kevin Stevens. Through hard-hitting discussion, personal testimonies, and cutting-edge resources to help battle the disease, Crosscheck is dedicated to ending the stigma and shame behind addiction and bringing forth the hope and support for those suffering from addiction to power forward and overcome it. Let's join Kevin Stevens and his team now on Crosscheck Substance Abuse Radio. Hi, this is Kevin Stevens, and welcome to Crosscheck Radio. we got another great show today. we got a couple of great guests, and uh, look forward to hearing uh, from Jeff. He's I always like having athletes in here with me, so it's nice to have Jeff in here. It's going to be great, and... Uh, I'll throw it over my buddy Andy, and he can take it away. Well, thank you, Kevin. How is everybody doing today? As always, we have the great Willie Drinkwater. Alyssa Horton is back from assignment. Hi-ho! How's everybody? Good. Good. Um, before we get started with our guests from Granite Recovery Centers, tell me about uh, the Red Sox on Saturday. Hmm. What do you think? The DH, will it, will it hurt them? Don't matter if they're up 2 nothing. Don't matter if they're going to be here. There you Amen. go. There you have it. There Amen. you DH is going to have nothing's hurt them sitting now. Th- so. There you have it. All right. I don't think the Dodgers are going to hurt them either. No. They're going to pound the Dodgers. It'll be uh, 3-0 by the end of that game. Wow. That's what I'm picking. Four-game sweep. Wow. wow. Sweep. All right. Let's get to it. Uh, let's welcome our first guest from Granite Recovery Centers. We have Jeff Hatch and Spencer Bush-Brown. Before we hear from Spencer, I want to meet Jeff Hatch. Jeff is a former Ivy League football player from the University of Pennsylvania. After his senior year, he was a first-team All-American, a unanimous first-team All-Ivy League selection. He was drafted by the New York Giants in the third round of that year's draft. He spent seasons with the Giants and Tampa Bay Bucks, but was forced into retirement in 26. Uh, his passion for helping others has earned him the President's Award for Community Service and continuous praise for his efforts to impact youth and raise awareness about the dangers of drug and alcohol. Welcome to the show. That's such a, a mouthful, but thank you. I appreciate right? it. It like, sets me up, though. You know yeah. what I mean? I really got it's like a like lot of... Like sheer greatness, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. sheer, sheer greatness. Jeez. So tell us about how you got into the world of addiction going from the NFL. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, the way it happened for me was uh, injuries in my career. Um, started early in my pro career and really became... I found myself pretty dependent on opiates to get out on the field and play, um, which to me at the time seemed perfectly okay. Um, I'm part of .001% of the population doing a job. However, i got to get out there and do it is how I'm going to do it. And then I had a career-ending injury, uh, which was a spinal fusion, in 2006, and I found myself uh, no longer with the I'm-an-athlete excuse to go to. I just found myself as a guy who was addicted to drugs and alcohol. Um, so I was lucky. I had been in the NFL substance abuse program prior to that. And this, this physician I had seen down in South Florida where I was with Tampa, her name's Dr. Martha Brown. I always give her a shout out. She saved my life. You know, I had overdosed. She came and saw me in the hospital, said, you really need to get some help. And so I went to treatment and I had no idea what that was or what it looked like. I mean, now 12 and some odd years later, I attribute that to some stigma around the disease, some of my own fear about it. Um, 
a lot of different things. But I had no idea what I was walking into. I mean, I thought I was going to go to a place that was going to be like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Everyone's going to be wearing gowns and drooling on themselves. Mm. That's the, what I thought. And yeah. the big uh, Native American chief. That was supposed to be me in the, yeah, in the story, right? Right, right, yeah. right, 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 right. <laughs> You know, so I ended up going there and, 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 and thank God, got, got introduced to a solution and got well and, and was just kind of taking the steps thereafter. And um, they came to me and said, look, have you ever done thought about doing marketing or business development in this industry you think we think you'd be really good at it. and i was like i don't even know that, that exists in this industry but I got introduced to it there and went to work for them and, and spent five years doing that and it's been a road ever since since you know 2006 where i've kind of been in and around this industry and, and trying to help people man the bottom line is you know i wake up for that every day is, is to try to help somebody get well it's good stuff you know we all um you know being an athlete you being an athlete it's kind of uh Kind of tough, like, when your career kind of just says, you know, enough's enough. You know, mm -hmm. like, you know, you kind of, I had a little bit longer, but my same thing. I hit addiction in, in my career and kind of tortured through seven years of hell. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of had to make a decision in which you made a great decision because not, you know, you, you, you accepted the help. And I think that's the biggest thing sometimes we talk around here. People don't accept the help that they need. And, you know, you went in and do, do great things with it. And that, that's the biggest thing is the acceptance, right? I, I think you're 100% right, Kevin. I think also guys like us, like, you know, somebody comes and says you need help, man. It's very easy for guys like us when we're in a position we're in to go, look at my life and look at your yeah. life and, and don't tell me what I need. I'll tell you what yeah. you need and get out of my face, you yeah. know. And, and, and I get it, man. It's a big piece of it. I've seen a lot of guys from, from our space suffer yeah. and, and sadly lose their lives to it because they can't accept the help. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, we don't want, like, you know, we think you get to your place – because you work hard and you got there. I get to my place because I work hard and got there. It's really not about willpower or any of this thing. This mm -hmm. thing is about, you know, letting people in your life, right? Letting other people in your life that can help us. You That's know? it. Because we can't do it alone. No, 100%, man. You're 100% right. And, and that, that phrase you just said there, you can't do it alone. Yeah. Well, look, we built some pretty, pretty yeah. fantastic athletic careers on the fact that we could do it alone. Yeah. We did things nobody yeah. told us could do. Yeah. And then you get to a place where you got to kind of, that, that word, surrender. Yeah. And, and and for me, I was really against that at first. I mean, yeah. I really needed to get, get okay with really a first step is what it yeah. was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Really yeah. get to the place where I admit that I'm powerless and my yeah. life's unmanageable before I'm willing to do anything thereafter yeah. and, and surrender and accept help. You know? Yeah, it's true. Because, you know, none of us can do anything until we accept, you know, that first step. Take, you know, we can't drink and we can't drug. Nothing can happen until we stop drinking that's and it. drugging, right? That's it. And, that, and that's the biggest step we have to get. But now tell us about what's, what's going on with your life. What, what's your life? What do you do now? Like how you, yeah. you know, helping other people. Well, yeah. So, I mean, you know, my work life consists of I'm, I'm the chief business development officer at Granite Recovery Centers. We're a facility up in New Hampshire. we got seven different locations, 284 beds, um, help men and women 18 and up. And, you know, that, that came about based on a, a friendship I started in 2009 with the guy who founded and started the company. We became buddies. He's another young guy like me, got sober the same mm -hmm. kind of way. And, and so that, that's how I got to this place with them. And then, you know, like tomorrow I'll take off to drive down to um, Central Valley, New York. I'm going to speak down there Friday morning. Um, yeah. You know, I got a, a wonderful relationship with, with a woman. Um, my family relationships are restored. I have a, a sister yeah. who's got five kids. Yeah. Um, I'm present for, for them. I'm a good uncle. I'm a good brother. Yeah. I'm a good son. And um, I think I'm a good relationship partner you'd have yeah. to ask her but you know uh, what i mean yeah, but you no. know i mean it's it's life is really full yeah. for me man and it's yeah. it's it's a it's a passion thing i know for for me i don't know if you can relate to this is like i was incredibly passionate about my athletic career yeah yeah you know and and when that was gone i was like well 
Yeah. Now what? Something's got to yeah. fill me the way that did. Yeah. And and I found that in this this kind of like recovery, helping other people space. Like yeah. there's there's a need for us in this space. So yeah. you know, I was really lucky to kind of find a passion for that. Yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. Like you said, it's you know, staying sober one day at a time. How great your life can get. You know, we all. You hear it, we hear it when we first try to get sober. You know, your life's going to get great. Yeah, yeah, sure it is. You right. know, I'm down in the dumps right now. Right? Right. You know, how is it ever going to get great? Right. You know? But if you just stay sober one day at a time, your life can get great. And like you said, you can have a passion, whatever it is. Amen. You know, I'm the same way with you. I think God kept me alive so I can actually get out there and speak to people and hope maybe help someone. You know, we help one person every day, and then, you know, we're doing our job. You no know? question. It's one of those things. It's, it's crazy out there. It's brutal out there, but... um. You know, we got to do our thing, you know? That's it, man. I think you're yeah. right. I think you're 100% right. And you're, that's it. That's the, uh, that's the way I always look at it, too, is like you go talk to 500, 1,000 yeah. people. But if, you, if, if one person comes up yeah. to me afterwards and says, yeah. what you said really made a difference yeah. for me, that, that's everything. That's awesome, man. Yeah. When, when did addiction start for you? Well, I'll tell you this really quick. When it started, when substance use started for me was I was 13. When addiction started for me, that's a question I think goes back a little bit further than that. And I'll tell you the little story I have about that is when I was two years sober, my folks shipped out a bunch of boxes of stuff. I got a place in Louisiana. I had really settled in there. Where you met Willie Drinkwater. I did yeah. in 2008. That same year I met Willie Drinkwater. Right? The same year I got this house. This is crazy. It all comes back to you, doesn't it? It does. It yeah, always really comes does. back to oh, Willie. It always. it always comes. Yeah. So they send me this, these, these boxes. I open up a box. There's a sketch pad in it from when I was 11 years old. There's three drawings in the sketch pad. One is a man hanging from a cliff. One is a guy behind a cage screaming, and the other's a half devil, half person. Hmm. That was when I was 11. And, and that to me is what addiction is. And so, so that was in me before I ever got into substances. You know what I mean? That, that was what I was trying to get away from with drugs and alcohol. Right. So, you know, that's kind of my answer to that question. You mentioned that you speak. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you talk about when you speak? So my favorite thing is to walk in. I mean, like, so I'm a pretty big guy. I mean, I'm six seven, about 280 now, but I stay in the gym. You know, I work out hard. So these guys, the jocks will come in. With right? Zuba's pants on? Zuba's pants, um, Metallica. <laughs> right? Yeah. Sleeveless? Sleeveless. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. I, I like to oil up, too, before. Yeah, I, 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 who doesn't? Get a little sheen on. That's right, baby. <laughs> And and I just they, I think they think I'm going to come in and kind of give them the old be a tough guy kind of story. But really, the things I talk to people about, especially the the kids, is is finding a means by which you can have an authentic, open relationship with somebody in your life and tell them the ugly stuff that's going on for you. Because I know for me that was what kept me sick for so long is my inability to share anything real or authentic with anyone because I wanted them to believe I was something I wasn't. So I talk about that. I talk about how if, if you want to seek money, fame, and fortune, go for it. Like I did. But on the other side of that, I was totally miserable still. Mm. So there's got to be something more to it. You know, there's got to be something more. Um, so I, I try to talk about that. I mean, obviously, I talk about drugs and alcohol. And, you know, if you find yourself in a situation that you're one of us, right. um, because I think there's a big difference between being a drug abuser and being somebody who's a drug addict and alcoholic. Mm. But, you know, stay away from it, this kind of thing. I don't know how effective that necessarily is. Kids are kind of kind of do what they want to do and they're going to experiment. Right. But my whole thing is if you find yourself in a place where you're escaping your reality through drugs and alcohol on a daily basis, you need to talk to somebody about it. Can you relate to that? Yeah. You know, it's, that's all that's, you know, it's hard to, uh, once you get started on this thing and get this roller coaster ride going, like especially at a young age, you know, it's hard to get out of it. You know, that's, that's a hard thing. You know, I, I hit addiction at 28 because I was just, that's just how it happened. Right. But, you know, it took me 22. I didn't get sober. I was 50. Yeah. You know, guys get, you know, kids get it younger. 
and it's painful and it's hard. You know, at the young age, it's very hard, like to accept, like you know, how we have to live. You know, <laughs> how me and you live compared to a teenage kid. That's you know, and I was that teenage kid. You were that teenage, you know, and it's not easy, right? No way. You're stuck in it. So that's that's the biggest thing I think. But you know, the, the point is that you know. If you if you having problems with it, you got to kind of address it, you know, and you got to find someone you can talk to. You got to find some people around that can help you. That's it. Yeah, and it's all good stuff. And you got your boy Spencer here with you. What's Spence? What are you all about now? <laughs> <laughs> so I've been fortunate to work for Granite for two and a half years now with Jeff. Uh, we met probably I don't know six seven years ago. So I've been with Granite for two and a half years, and it's been a, a blessing to uh, help a lot of people. I come at that from the the same direction Jeff does. That's why yeah. I get up every day to help people out. Um, I have addiction in my family, mm-hmm. um, and I myself have struggled from some mental health issues over you know my lifetime. So I have a soft spot for helping people essentially, yeah. and, and getting them well but that's kind of the angle i come at this from what makes granite unique um pretty much i would say the biggest thing is longer term nature of the programming that we have you know we're really focused on engaging people in months of treatment as opposed to a week or a few days or a month um you know our model is more six to nine months of treatment and trying to get people to that year of sobriety which is really the you know, best mark for people entering into long-term recovery is hitting that year. I agree. I think that's the most, I think time's the most important thing, like you said. You know, when I got sober, I've tried to get sober through treatment places, and, you know, I just didn't have the, so I didn't want to, really. You know, we all know, you know, we if we don't want to get sober, you're never going to get sober. It's a program where you've got to want it, you got to so, jump in with two feet, but it takes time. Like, you know, for my first six months of sobriety, it was difficult. You know, I went to a lot of meetings, I did a lot of things that I had to do, but... You know, the longer you can stay in a program and get yourself cleared up, right, and get your mind working to have a purpose and feel good about yourself again. That, you know, we beat ourselves up so bad, don't matter what we're doing. You're an athlete, I'm an athlete. I was still down, down, down. I beat myself up so bad that I needed to get, you know, needed that time. You need that time to get yourself some confidence back and some self-esteem, whatever it is, but it's all about time. I think it's true on that. 100%. Yeah. yeah, and it's all dictated by insurance. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Real, that's, you know? that's a scary thing. Right? Yeah, it is all dictated by insurance. But can you guys explain a little bit for the listeners? Because I know I'm familiar with your program. I've sent some people your way. I love you guys very dearly. Um, uh, what's the full continuum of care, like how you're able to keep them? Because a lot of people, I think, when they call any of us, they don't understand um, the difference between that. Like, I'll, uh, you know, I'll try to explain our level of care in comparison to the whole spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our whole process is getting over several hurdles. The first is trying to get them to get into treatment altogether. Um, once you have them getting past detox and staying for the you know, treatment program itself, which at most places is you know, about 30 days. Um, and then the next hurdle, which is our biggest one, is trying to get them agreed to aftercare, you know, which looks like sober living and intensive outpatient for a matter of months. So at Granite, we do provide detox, residential treatment, and then six different extended care sober living programs to try and get people that chance to really get a number of months under their belt. You know, that's really what we're, what we're looking at. And the only other thing I'd add to that is that we've really tried to make treatment accessible for folks. So through insurance as well as providing transportation. We're really trying to eliminate cost as well as um, you know, family burden and getting people in the door. And then once we have them, engaging them to get them to stay. Yeah, and that's, I think that's important too because the aftercare, like you know, when I was in 
rehabs and it's people talking about aftercare. I said, whoa, aftercare? I'm going home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. I'm going home. That's, yes. yeah. And I'm doing it my way, right? <laughs> right. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go home and things I'm are going to sure. be great. I was here 60 days and you I'm know, better. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Clean. I'm, I'm great. Yeah. Can't wait to get home. <laughs> right. Jump around, do the same things I was doing, right? So I think it's very important that we understand that we have to do things that we don't want to do sometimes, right? To stay clean and sober. A lot and that's, of times. You know, most of the time, right? And it's kind of, uh, it's very aftercare is the biggest thing. Like you can go, you know, we get locked up, you do treatment, whatever. It's, it's, it's great. You learn about things. But to be able to go into a place and live your life and get yourself back to where, like your day-to-day routine, you know, and that's. Practice it. Yeah, the practice of just doing it, and, right. it's, and it's it's tough because. But you know, if you're in there, if you're in treatment, if you're going to treatment, you know, aftercare I think is the most, the biggest the biggest thing you can do. No question, it yeah. is, man. I was the same way, man. Yeah. When they, when they said go to live in a sober house, I was like, dude. I got this nice yeah, apartment in Tampa. <laughs> you want me to go live with twelve guys in a house? You know what I mean. I but I, I, I definitely, I'm with you. I credit that with, with, yeah. with me staying sober. There's yeah. no question. I mean, just because of the the things that happened in there that I couldn't have anticipated. Mm-hmm. Number one, like you said, getting into that schedule of mm-hmm. doing the things I got to do yeah. every day to be okay, which yeah. some I want to do, some I don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then also just things that happened in that time where, like, I got robbed at gunpoint four months sober working at this movie store in this little town in Louisiana. Yeah. Like, you know I wanted to go back and get loaded after that yeah. because yeah. getting a gunpoint in your face ain't fun no matter who you yeah. are. But having that support system around, right, and, yeah. like, people instilling in me this is what you're supposed to do to, to get well from this, to, to yeah. you know, be okay. But that was crucial for me, and yeah. that set up – that I think that set me up for learning that that stuff did work. Yeah. Right, because we got our way of doing things that we've been doing for a long time, yeah. and it may not work well, but hey, you know, it makes us feel okay. Yeah. It's it doing things different can hurt, and yeah. um, you know, you got to realize that you can get better through doing those things. And once you start to see the results of that, then it's like, for me, anyways, it's been kind of a, it builds. You yeah. know what I mean? The more positive experience I have, and more in recovery based on doing the things I've been doing, well, that gives me another seed in that bucket that grows, and, yeah. and it keeps me going that way. Yeah. You know what I, we were talking about a little bit earlier? Like when I was in addiction, I thought I was sore, banged up. I thought I needed pills, right? I thought I needed these things. Then I get stuck in the addiction, the pain pills, mm-hmm. and I'm pain. I get some pain when I wake up when I'm on these pills. Yeah. You know, now that I'm off these pills for a couple of years, I don't have any pain. It's kind of weird how your brain, like you kind of said the same thing. Once your brain kind of recalibrates, yeah, it's crazy because when I was doing pain pills, I was in pain. Yes. Now I'm not doing pain pills. I'm it's crazy. Paying, I know? know. It's just, I, and I don't think people understand the, the mental power of, of opiates, yeah. man. You know, especially chronic pain patients and things like that. Like, I get it. Look, yeah. I've had a spinal fusion. I've had my knee totally replaced. My shoulders are jacked up. My neck mm-hmm. is messed I mean, I'm yeah. talking to a guy who's, yeah. you know, you know yeah. what it's like. But the bottom line is, man, once you separate yourself from those drugs, your yeah. body figures out a way chemically yeah. to adjust. Yeah. And it'll crave them like crazy at first yeah. because yeah. it'll make you hurt worse because mm-hmm. it wants them so bad. Yeah. But you break through that point. And, and for me now, I find exercise. I'm going to tell you something. Ibuprofen, mm. um, you know, Tylenol, acetaminophen. Those yeah. are some pretty incredible drugs that work really well yeah. when my body hurts. You yeah. know, I didn't think that before. Those were yeah. a joke to me. Yeah. Like, don't it's, give me that stuff. I, give me, yeah. give me ah, a Percocet. Ah, That's ah, what I need. You know. What yeah, I mean? but, no, it's, it's true. It's, it's amazing how your body comes back and your brain. Yes, your brain's what comes back into your body, which tells you, you know. You're going to be fine. You don't need all this pain medication, everybody. You don't need it all. That's it. Where can people get in touch with you guys if they want to reach out? So Jeff and I are obviously available. We're at granitrecoverycenters.com. 
Um, we have an 800 number as well. one 890 3234 There you go. Wow. And that will put you right into our admissions folks, um, who all are super experienced and been doing this for a number of years, number of them in recovery, and can help families out immediately. So, And give the website again? GraniteRecoveryCenters.com. Jeff Hatch, Spencer Bush-Brown. Thank you guys for coming on. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you you having us. Thanks, guys. We'll be back on CrossCheck. You're listening to CrossCheck Radio with your host, Kevin Stevens. We'll be right back after these messages. My name is Richard Morse, founder and chairman of Boston Financial Management. For more than 40 years, we have been dedicated to the creation and preservation of wealth for our clients. We strive to develop and implement individual investment programs to address the specific needs of each and every client. BFM is pleased to support Crosscheck Radio's mission of providing education and awareness about the drug addiction crisis currently facing this nation. We believe this program will increase awareness and begin to move the nation towards a better understanding of the crisis and ultimately to a solution. Boston Financial Management is proud to take an active role in promoting Power Forward, aired by Crosscheck Radio, and believe all communities and individuals will benefit with a greater knowledge about the current opioid crisis. For more information about Boston Financial Management, please visit our website at bfminvest.com. Clean Slate Centers is an outpatient clinic with a strong commitment to expanding access to medication-assisted treatment to help fight the opioid epidemic. Our primary mission is to help the underserved population reclaim their lives from substance abuse disorder. Clean Slate has 44 centers in eight states, and we pride ourselves on providing compassionate and effective physician-led treatment across all of our locations. We provide evidence-based care using the current guidelines established by the American Society of addiction medicine. Clean Slate's knowledgeable and caring team focuses on treating each patient as an individual while placing an emphasis on personal accountability. This is an effective method and will help those in need manage their addiction. The combination of individualized medical, behavioral health, and case management services has been shown to be the most effective treatment for people experiencing substance abuse disorder. For more information or to schedule an intake, please call 413-341-1780. That's 413-341-1780. Or visit www.cleanslatecenters.com. We are also a proud supporter of Crosscheck Substance Abuse Radio. At Tracy, come in and see the difference for yourself. They have the largest selection. I found my dream car here. The choices are endless. There is no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. We'll help you make the best decision. We've bought 30 vans here. I love my new car. They put the fun back into buying a car. I wouldn't go anywhere else. Everybody wants a good deal. It's one of the reasons I keep coming back. Experience the rock-solid difference. Tracy Chevrolet Cadillac, exit 6 off Route 3, Plymouth, Mass. Hi, this is actor Kevin Chapman. You're listening to Kevin Stevens' Crosscheck Radio. Welcome back to Crosscheck. I'm Andy Bernstein with your host, Kevin Stevens. Alyssa Horton, Willie Drinkwater, sitting in studio with us, live in the flesh, Maria Ulmer, from the Dear Maria segment, which we will get to in a second. And, um, and joining us, 
now is Rick Sweeney. He is the founder of Sweeney & Associates Law Firm and former BPD sergeant. Rick is a Dorchester native and is an experienced and proven criminal lawyer and serves residents of the greater Boston area and Massachusetts. He specializes in all areas of criminal law and a retired Boston police sergeant who commanded one of Boston's elite drug units. Welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, welcome, Rick. It's awesome. You know, it's, uh, tell us about it. I, I think it's my, I love reading about your story. I, I think it's mind-blowing going from, you know, being a sergeant now the other side. Tell us how all this happened, how you got there. Well, they, they call it going to the dark side. <laughs> uh, I come from a police family, so it wasn't easy going over to the other side. Uh, yeah. I had 20 years in Boston and uh, 20 proud years. Uh, still proud to, to say I was a police officer. Yeah. And um, I get injured, and I, um, as you well know, uh, I, I crushed my spine and uh, spent six months in an uh, ICU and then uh, 18 months of Spalding Rehab, tried to go back, and it was time to move on. So law school beckoned. Yeah. Um, and uh, I went that way, and fortunately for me, a gentleman that had a practice uh, out of Canton, uh, Bill Sullivan, who's now a judge in Superior Court, uh, was dumb enough to hire me, and um, and then it kind of just took off. We, we we did well together, and uh, knock on wood, things are still going strong. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. You uh, you actually worked for the drug unit. You did that. You know, did. That's the type of work you did, though. Yep, my last five years in the police department, um, we had a drug unit uh, out of what was called Area E, uh, West Roxbury, Jamaica Plain, High Park, that area. Um, I had a great group of guys who worked for me, guys and women, uh, who worked for me, and uh, they did a phenomenal job. Yeah. Um, as you know, uh, sometimes you can just turn people loose and uh, let them do their job, and sometimes the best way is to just step out of the way. They did a great job. We made a lot of great arrests. It was a difference back in the 80s when I was doing it in terms mm -hmm. of arrests. You know, we actually thought, you know, grabbing someone who was doing cocaine in their car, we thought at that point in time that guy should be in jail. Yeah. And it's a whole different world now yeah. than it was then. But, you know, we, we thought we were doing God's work, and in some, some senses we were. Yeah. No, that's, that's all good stuff because, you know, like you said, it's, it's, you know, I do some work with DEA guys, and, they, you know, they – they want the big guys, right? So you're like Correct. you're talking about. You know, when you get the little guys, you know, we got to get to the other guys. You know, and that's and that's. I guess that's the nature of the beast now because this opiate addiction that's out there. It's it's so bad and so, it's it's deadly. And um, I think the biggest thing is you know, you got like you said, you can make arrests and you can you have great people working and these DAs make great arrests, but it's still, you know, well, they, like they even tell me we can't arrest our way out of this thing right now. You know, there's no way you can do that. And, yeah. And, um, I, I used to teach at the uh, police academies, and, and one of the old uh, instructors there at the academy said, "If you, what would you have to say now versus what would you say then? And I can tell you truthfully that as a police officer, it's kind of black and white. Someone's doing something illegal, you arrest mm -hmm. him, you book him, you move on, you write your paperwork, and off you go. The difference on this side, um, as we all know, I don't think there's anybody in this world today that doesn't have someone in their in their lives or family now that doesn't have problems with opioids, mm -hmm. um, including myself. Mm -hmm. So now the view is different because now I get to sit down and talk and say what caused this and whether it was a bad injury or something else like that where um, someone got, got, is struggling with, with abuse. Now I get an opportunity to help them. And what the courts look for you to do at this point in time is someone got arrested it's brought to their attention. Um, sometimes you get a chance. Sometimes it's a first or second chance. Mm -hmm. And then other times it's just police are doing what they're supposed to do. Someone's making a deal in yeah. front of them. they got to make an arrest. Our job now is to go to the courts. And the courts' jobs now, um, very much so, is to now deal with the addiction. And, yeah. and what they're trying to do, Kevin, and you know this, is 
you can deal with it. You can't arrest your way out of it. Yeah. But we can get people into programs, and we found programs, and they've established drug courts. Yeah. But the biggest problem is, is there's not enough beds. Yeah. There's not enough beds to support people. Yeah, that, that is, that's a huge problem because, you know, as an addict myself, and when you want help, pretty much you need a bed to get that addict in to get help because, you know, because my mind's going to change. In 10 hours, I'm going to say, no, I'm okay. I'm fine. I, I, can't go into, I can't go into treatment. So that's the hardest thing is getting these people into treatment. And uh, I got a little question. Like, how many of the, like, the people you deal with, like, now you, you represent and what, how much of these drugs pretty much causing their arrests and call, like, you know, what, how, is it, is it, what percentage would you say? Like, you know? it, It's a lot. When, when you deal with the, the, the uh, what I call the subservient crimes, the, the larcenies, the mm -hmm. uh, pretty much anything, the breaking in the houses and stuff like that. Yeah. Most of that is done these days because people need or want drugs. Yeah. And they don't know where to get it. And, and I'm not one to tell big stories, but quick stories. I arrested someone three nights in a row, and I had a relative who was an addict. And I went to this person, and I said, like, what an idiot. He came back yeah. every night. And my relative said to me, not an idiot. It's the only place he knew where to buy drugs. Yeah. And, and I thought about it when he said that. But the guy knew that he was going to get arrested. He knew he'd get arrested the night before, and the night after, and the yeah. night after. And I think that night, as a sergeant, kind of changed my mind about how yeah. to start dealing with people. When you yeah. look at someone, and it's not, they're not the old, you know, yeah. POS, as we used to call them, that's just out there to buy. These are good people that have problems. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and there's families. Yeah. And, you know, there's families yeah. involved. And, yeah. and it leads to other crimes. Yeah. And it's amazing how, like you said, how powerful addiction is. Because, you know, sometimes... The no, like you say, the normal people. You see it because you were in the car, you were in that yep. field. But normal people don't realize how can this guy keep coming back? You know, how can this guy keep coming back to the same spot? I know that. I know why he comes back because he needs to get high. He needs to get better. You know, you know, if he's sick, when, but it's the only place he can go. And he says, you know, whatever it takes, I don't care. Yep. I'll sneak. I, nothing's going to happen to me because. I can do this, you know, and that makes your brain, makes you believe. How powerful addiction is. Yeah, it's yep. the addiction is so powerful. It takes you places that, you know. In, in, it is amusing. As, as a police officer, most, most police officers don't use drugs. Of course, there's, yeah. very, there's, there's enough of everybody yeah. that does something. But you have that black and white thing of he came, he bought, he got arrested. Yeah. And you need to start seeing beyond that, and the courts are. And, and I did, and I'll be honest with you, it was, it was a big change for me. Uh, even having family members go through it, right? The backstory now you're sharing yep. instead of, you know, here's here's why this person is using. Correct. Now you get to talk to family and friends in the person. And, and Kevin, you said it right on the nose. I'll have someone that will get arrested. The family will come from his arraignment, and they'll call me and they'll say, "Can you can you talk to him?" And, and you know, I spend an awful lot of time with people. I believe time mm -hmm. is really important. And you try to get them a bed, and you're doing the best, and they really want a bed. They're in front of you. They've just crashed. They've just burned. Yeah. Get me a bed. I'm the, you, you can't get a bed. You say, come back tomorrow. Have a bed. They're not coming back. Yeah. They don't want a bed. Yeah. And when they come back the next day, it's a different story. Yeah. And to try to get them where they got to go, it's hard. And, and, you know, even with money, yeah. it's hard to find a place to go. Yeah. Without money, it's it's Hot. extremely difficult. Yeah, it's, it's extremely difficult. Yeah. So watching it on the other side, you have an opportunity to deal with it now and to try to get them where they need to go, or at yeah. least on that journey. Yeah. Alyssa and Maria are both in the treatment field. They both work for different centers. Can you speak to that? Yeah, it's absolutely difficult, even as a professional. Like we have a limit on the people that we can take. Uh, we have a limit on how many scholarships we can mm -hmm. offer, but 
you know, when you work with a private insurance, you work with somebody that has money, it, get, it does get a little bit easier because you can make those phone calls for them. But when it comes to no money, DPH funded beds or, you know, mass health, I can't call and make that referral to somebody. I can't call a state funded uh, facility and be like, hey, I have this kid who needs treatment with mass health. Like as a professional, it's what I do for a living. I, I can only provide those individuals with resources. Right. And so the drug courts become that much more important, correct? Right. Absolutely. Correct. Can, yeah. and, and from my perspective, that's the leverage when there's very little leverage and only really external motivation for someone to get help sometimes. We find that especially now with the opioid challenges in the community that someone maybe in their early 20s, a young adult, they don't have those things that we might have accomplished over decades of experiences, uh, school, family, jobs, things that you strive to acquire and attain and maintain. And so that means that for that individual, there's very little holding them on to hope for something better. And so mm -hmm. they know what they know. And that has been sought out through desperation every day and feeding their addiction. There's very little resources and there's very little leverage otherwise. So families become so desperate that they just start kicking tires on the web just Googling any treatments that are nearby, um, and the beds are hard to get. Okay. So can you explain about the drug courts and how they work? You both, everybody yep. has knowledge of it. Can you share that? Drug court, as you say, is an extremely good leverage to have, um, especially if you have someone who's uh, been a little reluctant to, uh, to, to seek some help. Uh, when a guy in a black robe or a woman in a black robe is standing in front of you and says, I'll give you two choices, Wow. Uh, one of them's drug court, and the other one's not a very <clears throat> pleasant choice. Um, it does give you some pause. And then they do, and when I say they, I won't take any credit for this at all. The people that work in the drug court, from, from the probation um, to the attorneys up to the judges, uh, they do a phenomenal job of finding the resources, finding the help, and, and there's also a good positive and negative feedback. You've got to meet with a judge once a week, mm -hmm. and you're in front of everybody in an open courtroom. And if you've ever had a chance to sit through a half hour of a drug court, it's, it's a great take. Yeah. Because you, you watch from one person being yelled at, you're going to jail, put him in the pocket, mm -hmm. and the person's being handcuffed and taken away, to somebody else who's graduating and has their whole family, they're yeah. saying to the person going to the been there, been there, yeah. I went there yeah. once. Yeah. And it gives you something to look forward to, but they have the hammer and the velvet glove, and they have the resources. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think drug court, I, I talked to some people in drug court when I was out in Pittsburgh, and their, their thing is that it's 36 months. I know some out here is a year. It's all different stages, right. but but it's um, it gives people an opportunity to live their life. Like, like you said, you got to come in once a week. It's 36 yeah. months. Gives you that's three years to give, get your life back together, and if you don't get it back together, you're going to jail, right? So if you keep Precisely. flunking these tasks, and you don't, but it gives you that opportunity where. You know, they put you right in jail. You don't have that opportunity to be out there and, and try to live your life and find a different way to live. It gives you three years, which is a long time, enough time to get yourself together where you can kind of find a, a path in your life and a, a way to recover. You know, that's the biggest thing is find a, a solution how to do this thing. Precisely. A job, support yeah. your family, find out you have family support, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is a big thing because, you know, I, I can't speak for addiction. I, I can't stop biting my nails, but my wife says that's okay. <laughs> I don't go any other way. But the reality is, you know, when, you, when you're in addiction, it is. It's something that you want and need every single day. Yeah. And I don't think you realize until you, someone has reached out to you and made you sit down and look around that you do have support. Yeah. You have family. You have yeah. friends. You have everybody that's out there to help you, including professionals who know what they're doing.
Yeah. And, and I think that's the key, Kevin, in all honesty, is my job is to get you to someone who knows what they're doing. No different than dropping you off at the ER going, hey, yeah. his, his arm's bleeding. Yeah. You know, now what? Yeah. No, getting you in there is the big deal. Yeah, and you're absolutely the truth. That's the truth. And, you know, once you – you can only go so far, right? You can Correct. do what you can do to get them to the place where they need to get help. And that's when the, the addict has to take the initiative and say, you know what? I want the help. I'll do whatever I have to take to get – and that's what like people have to understand because it's it's not addiction is brutal when you yep. you know when, and it's very hard to to recover. But it's 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 not if you follow directions and you're willing to to do a few things, anything's anything's possible. Well, right? when you look at ten fifteen years ago, if I put you in jail, there were no programs there. Now there yeah. are. Can we yep. hold on to you for a sure. couple more minutes? Sure. All right, we'll pick that back up. You're listening to Crosscheck. You're listening to Crosscheck Radio with your host Kevin Stevens. We'll be right back after these messages. An iced coffee is just a couple of bucks. What's the big deal? Well, if you think about it, two iced coffees a day for a whole year adds up to over $1,400. That's a big deal. Hi, I'm Kevin Chapman, and this is a financial tip brought to you by the City of Boston Credit Union. For more everyday financial tips, visit cityofbostoncu.com. City of Boston Credit Union, uniquely Boston. Federally insured by NCUA, member MSIC. Surrounded by 71 acres of peaceful woodlands, Sunspire Health Spring Hill is a residential addiction treatment center that allows you to clear your mind and reconnect with nature as you focus on your recovery on our open residential campus. At Spring Hill, we use a wide range of evidence-based treatment methods, including medication-assisted treatment and behavioral therapies to create a plan aimed at promoting long-term recovery. In addition to your clinical treatment plan, take advantage of complimentary recovery activities in the surrounding outdoors and enjoy a comprehensive two-day educational family program, as well as the security of knowing your discharge will include a thorough, individualized plan that goes well beyond our care. Spring Hill offers patients evidence-based treatment for addiction and co-occurring mental health disorders at our facility in Ashby, Mass. If you or a loved one is in need of help, please call us today at 978 978- Two five four six 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 eight. That's nine seven eight two five four six 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 eight. Or visit us at sunspirehealth.com backslash spring dash up. We at Sullivan Tire support Kevin Stevens in his quest to support those who suffer from substance abuse. Thank you, Kevin, and best of luck. Everybody wants to earn more money, right? Hi, I'm Kevin Chapman, and I'd like to earn more money too. That's why I take advantage of the Bump Up CD specials at the City of Boston Credit Union. It's easy. If their rates go up, yours can too. Check out all their current specials at cityofbostoncu.com. City of Boston Credit Union. Uniquely Boston. Funds federally insured by NCUA. Excess insurance by MSIC. Hi, this is Sam Quinones. I'm the author of the best-selling book, Dreamland, The True Tale of America's Opiate Epidemic. You're listening to Crosscheck Radio with Kevin Stevens. Welcome back to Crosscheck Radio. I'm Andy Bernstein here with your host, Kevin Stevens, Alyssa Horton, Willie Drinkwater, 
our special in-studio guest, the great Maria Ulmer. And joining us as well is Rick Sweeney. He is the founder of Sweeney and Associates Law Firm and a former BPD sergeant. We're going to pick back up on the discussion. Maria had some commentary. As we were just talking about the lack of leverage that sometimes we find, and it, it creates a sense of ambivalence for someone who's trying to get help but doesn't really have much to work towards or look forward to. Even with the threat of going to jail, there's this challenge of being able to keep them in treatment. And we know the longer we can keep them engaged, the brain has a chance to get rid of that stinking thinking the old way, the irrational thoughts that are going to lead to the impulsive bolt of, I got to get back to what I know, which is using. Uh, so, in looking at that, you know, trying to imagine, you know, being able to Skype in or have that, that, you know, gavel in front of you, whether PO or judge, while the person's still in treatment because we have this AMA risk against medical advice. Right. The person wants to leave prematurely in the middle of a detox protocol, which is even more unsafe, right? Uh, and, and there's little leverage to hold them in. What well, do we do? I, I think give, given the, the way that the courts are looking at things this way, we just talked about this briefly break. I, I think it's a tremendous idea to, I, I can name dozens of judges that would jump on that opportunity, and I know every probation officer would. And, and I'll be honest with you, most defense attorneys would too. I'll be the first one to say, what are you doing? Because we do get calls saying, I left. And you know, we get the, come in here and sign a letter that says, I'm stupid, because uh, you're yeah. going to jail. Yeah. You know, um, And we literally say, come in here, sign a letter that says, I'm stupid, you're going to jail. That's what my firm tells them. If you'd have an opportunity to get a judge or a probation officer to look them at it, whether it's a FaceTime or a video conference or something, and say, just so you understand, mm -hmm. here's, when you leave, you're coming to see me, and then you're going to go see the sheriff. And then he has a place for you, and it's called a cell. <laughs> um, that's as clear as it can be. Yeah. Um, and you say they need to be at that spot where you can get to them right then and there. And if you can get to them right then and there, we have a shot. Once they're out and back with their friends and out there getting what is yeah. their norm, that's their norm, they're not interested in listening to us. And I don't think you get to them at that point. And that's if they have a chance to get to that without overdosing and dying. That's the bigger and, issue. And that's where yeah. we sit from a treatment provider perspective. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I worked for Boston EMS way back in the 70s. I'm telling you how old I am now. But I spent six years working uh, in, in Dorchester Midnights. And, uh, you know, we had our share of overdoses then. Nothing like it is now. Um, and now you get, you know, my my firm's representing someone who had like four shots of Narcan and then yeah. left the hospital. You know? Yeah. Right back out. Yeah, so. the addiction, like the addiction brain, like, like what we were saying, the brain make such bad decisions when you're when you're stuck in addiction you know it's it and people you know now that i'm out of addiction i'm in this other way over here i can say oh man how did i you know how do i you know do it but you know what when i'm in in that addictive i i thought it was okay you know right. this guy leaving like and say you know what i'm gonna go back you know and i'll leave treatment even though you know they'll probably grab me in a week and i'm going back to jail people do it that's a crazy thing right well kevin you know better than i do because i i, I haven't had that but you you can say it exactly yeah. you look right at me and go i'm okay yeah and i'm leaving and i'm going to be fine yeah and i, and I see that all the time in my clients and and i know you're not yeah you may in yeah. the back of your mind know you're not but whatever that addictive yeah. Oh, yeah. thing that takes over yeah. that just says i'm out because yeah. i want to go do this yeah and yeah, that creates the problem. Yeah, it's, and even the negatives you see down the road, I'm not sure they actually see those negatives. No. They just never see it happening. No, and it's all about right now. You know, it's never about you. Never as an act, you never think about the consequences when you're in addiction. You know, when you're now that I'm out, I can you know 
I can think about the consequence. I can right. pause and say, you know what, I can't do that because things are going to happen. I'm going to be, you know, but when you're in it, it's about right now what I need. And then you get you get parents and family and friends who think that they're doing the right yeah. thing yeah. by by enabling. Yeah. And, you know, that that becomes a whole other issue. Yeah. And that's where, again, where you need other professionals to sit there yeah. and talk to the family. And I tell families, you need to get your own help yeah. to understand how yeah. you can help. Yeah. If people want to get in contact with you and your firm, how would they go about getting in touch with you? Uh, I'm, I'm on I'm online at uh, you just uh, Google Attorney Richard Sweeney Quincy or R Sweeney Law uh, or six one seven three two eight six nine zero zero. And if you had any advice for people out there who um, are in need of an attorney or need of representation, what would you advise them, regardless of whether it was you or not? Correct. Uh, go get help. F- find someone. There's there's a lot of uh, people out there, whether they're legal, medical, or, or anybody. Dial one of the numbers you see that can assist you, whether it's mine or somebody else's, and simply say, I need help. Uh, you know, we have people that can't afford to pay for an attorney now because they have to be in, in, in treatment. My apologies. Yeah. And my answer to the family is get them in treatment. We'll worry about the rest of that stuff yeah. later. Get help. That's the bottom line, and that's what I say to all the families. Thank you so much for coming in. Hey, yeah. It was yeah. a pleasure. Yeah, pleasure. Awesome. Good job. My pleasure. Rick Sweeney, everybody. Thank you. So this is our favorite time of the week. Dear Maria, Maria Omer, Delphi Behavioral Health and Serenity at Summit in Haverhill, Mass. And she is with us in the flesh, answering questions with our Dear Maria segment. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. So much better that I'm here in person with all of you today. We love it. We love having Maria. Um, So Alyssa is going to ask a question of you from our Dear Maria segment. Hey, guys. So I have a question for you, Maria. Uh, It comes from Jason M. in Milton. Uh, my mother-in-law, who struggles with back pain, was prescribed hydrocodone, diazepam, and a steroid. Uh, she became unresponsive, and they had to call 911. Uh, the EMT is Narcan's her. So the question is, uh, how would this mother-in-law explain to her g- grandchildren what happened to her uh, in a way to educate them and be supportive to them? And also, what would Jason and his family do to deal with their mom who's self-medicating? Well, I think, sadly, this is occurring all too more frequently than it ever has before, where someone might be prescribed a medication for a legitimate injury or ailment or chronic disease. Remember, when we're talking about those strong uh, opioids, they were meant for a disease such as cancer, uh, something life-threatening, and not just necessarily for traditional back pain or herniated disc. Uh, But for some reason, over the course of decades, we've seen that the physicians now prescribe in such a way that it became very free, you know, coming. Uh, We're now seeing a shift, which is really positive. Um, However, it's still impacting a lot of people in our communities. And as we've talked about before, the medicine cabinet seems to be the the most high-risk place in the house. Uh, So whether even just for the sake of looking at this from a couple, couple different scenarios, to not have those things, first of all, accessible by children, young adults, adolescents, uh, because it is too risky and obviously too tempting for some who might be desperate and struggling with the disease of addiction. But for those who are looking at this as I have chronic pain and I am prescribed these things, it becomes a justification. A doctor prescribed it. I have this problem. And so then, therefore, I should be taking these things that I may not necessarily need to or should be taking. And sometimes, unfortunately, physicians may not be watching these cases so closely. Again, we're seeing more and more. I can show you a picture I just took in a doctor's office the other day of a clear disclaimer. We will not be prescribing after a certain time period and amount. Uh, And there are also now databases that 
we plug into that help us to understand how many doctors or providers, prescribers might be involved in helping someone, which you might find there could be five or six prescribing the very same concoction that we just described. Uh, so for those family members uh, who think, well, mom just had a, a back surgery or she has this chronic pain because of back issues and the doctor prescribed those were in a sense of denial thinking that that is okay and because someone told her it was. Uh, and the sad part of this is that it could be fatal with especially concoction of a benzodiazepine and an opiate combined. We have the, the respirations now can be completely depleted and we can die. Uh, pretty quickly, and then a steroid on top. So for the family, I, I would want them to uh, become educated. Al-Anon, Naranon are great resources that there is a problem. Uh, and the question often comes up, can I take those things and not become addicted? And I, 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 I'm also often challenged by giving a, a response. I don't like to label and identify. If you have to take something every day, X amount, more over time, you know, we have criteria to meet that indicate that someone may have a problem, an abuse or potential dependency on it, that I need that to keep going each day. Then we know that we have a problem and the family can be there quickly to support them if they know that there is a problem. I think, I think Maria hit it on the head, but I think the hardest thing for families is a lot of families don't know about this stuff. My family was kind of in a bubble about addiction because no one was really involved with addiction until I hit addiction. So some of these families, they don't know about it, like this medicine, right? They don't really, you know, we all talk about it because we're in the field, we, we're in and around it, but a lot of families aren't in and around it. So when a doctor hands them oxycodone, they take them, right? So because they don't know, like the doctor says take three a day, you know, next thing you know, it's 30 days and you, and you you know, 20 days and you're out of your 30-day, like, you know, and then that's how it becomes a problem, right? Now what? Yeah, and now it's, now it's a problem, but it's true. It's like you said, it's about educating the families, but not everybody knows to educate. Not everybody's in the addiction type of thing. You know, we all hear about, you know, overdose and stuff, but it's still really kind of naked out there some places, you know? The more that we can talk about it, and as we talked about earlier, this affects every home. Hmm every family in some capacity. And the more that we can bring that to awareness from a larger community perspective, uh, it helps people not to feel the stigma and shame that we often relate to the disease. There's so many things that can be done proactively, preventatively, and then there are so many interventions, even with the resources that we talked about sometimes that can be lacking. Uh, the community at large is becoming more aware and making things accessible, which ultimately we hope can save lives. I hope that answers your question, Jason. And if you want to ask Maria a question, you can visit our website at powerforward25.com forward slash crosscheck, and you'll see the Dear Maria question page, right? How about that? It looks great. It, I love it. I, 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 and we'll be right back on Crosscheck. You're listening to Crosscheck Radio with your host, Kevin Stevens. We'll be right back after these messages. big thing that we have to offer is a ton of our staff are also in long-term recovery. Um, and the first thing that we look at is making sure that that individual comes in, feels like they're a person, that we're going to take care of them, and that we're there for them. Individualized treatment, we try and help people find a way to live a life that's drug-free a day at a time. When you're with us, you're going to get a master's clinician who is well-experienced, well-versed in addiction. You're also going to get a case manager who's going to help you basically with everything that you've missed in life due to addiction. You're going to have tons of peer support every day, but when you leave, you're a part of the Recovering Champions family. If you're looking for help to get into treatment and you'd like to use Recovering Champions and our knowledge of the system and how to access it, you can reach us a couple different ways. You can always call our toll-free number, which is 844 888 5391 844 888 
1-800-273-5391. The other place you can find us is on the web, recoveringchampions.com. LifeSkills South Florida is a 26-year-old primary psychiatric facility located in beautiful Deerfield Beach, Florida. We treat mental health conditions and substance use disorders for men and women ages 18 and older by using a holistic approach to treatment. This is done by incorporating elements of mindfulness, meditation, and integrated primary care, which offers individuals the opportunity for complete recovery. Treatment at Life Skills focuses not just on the persisting problems, but targets the underlying disorders that contribute to them in a healing environment. Our program goes above and beyond to empower the individuals during their recovery. For more information about our facilities, please call our Northeast Clinical Outreach Director, Melissa Westerman, at 603-540-6288. That's 603-540-6288. Also, visit our website at LifeSkillsSouthFlorida.com for more info. Hi, this is Mike from the Street Dogs. You're listening to Kevin Stevens Cross Check Substance Abuse Radio. Tune in and stay tuned in. Welcome back to Cross Check. I'm Andy Bernstein here with your host, Kevin Stevens. Alyssa Horton, Willie Drinkwater, Maria Ulmer, and sitting in with us is Richard Sweeney attorney, counselor, and former Boston Police Department sergeant. Interesting conversation during the break. You wanted to make a point. Yeah, when, when, when Kevin brought up uh, something, it's something that hits my office a lot. Um, Kevin said when, it, when a doctor gives you a 30-day supply of medicine, the family looks upon it as, you know, everything's okay. The doctor gave it to him, yet 20 days into that supply, he's out. Mm-hmm. He or she's out of, out of the med. Then what happens is they start stealing from family and friends or going out on the street and buying what they need because they're still in pain. Mm-hmm. And the we see it a lot. And, and there's a sort of a family says, well, he doesn't have a problem because the doctor's given him that medication. We're at the point now where we're, our physicians are just beginning to get the education because you could go through four years of medical school prior to the last year or so. Four years of medical school, you were offered one 20-hour course on mental health and addiction. Amazing. Of which only two or three hours was actually sitting with people that had the illnesses. And, you know, if, if you're going to be, you know, and the thing with surgeries and stuff, too, you, you get a script for 30 days. I want you to take three a day for 30 days and then just stop. Well, now you've created an addiction with it person too and then when the person goes back and says i think i need a little more the doctor's saying well no you're med seeking and it's like but you, you know the person gets set up you, you should always be titrating it down to zero you know and stuff but i mean the education's starting to pick up with the medical schools and it took the uh opioid crisis to bring that about it's so important way because four years ago i could go to florida and get as many pills as i wanted to get you know and yeah. just like you know yeah. stuff my family and come back here and like and that that's what's, what's causing the problem but now like you said maria had was in a doctor's office said you know there's things up there that say you know you're not Posted. getting them yeah. you know which is she's important because for addict we look you know yeah. you know well, that, that's what our job is some days you know you try to find dogs. That's sad, sad thing. But that's that's what addicts well, do. Big, big help help now is the pharmacy registry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you go to one doctor this week and then you try to go to a different doctor next week, a red flag goes up in the pharmacy saying, yeah. "No, you got a script for this last week." And so. there needs to be some education about, t- as you said, titrating down to yeah, zero. Yeah, titrating down. There are to pain zero. management clinics out there that will yeah. teach you self hypnosis, other things, so that you can come off them. You just can't go. You went to three a day and then stop. Yeah. You just can't do yeah, it. Yeah, and like you said, if you take thirty days at three a day. Yeah. And you get off them, you're going to be sick. 
Correct. You know, exactly. Just, I don't care if you're the an thing, addict. You're not an addict. Right. You're going to get the sick. The thing also, you would think in terms of anti-inflammatories, for first, if you take away the inflammation from a nerve ending, lo and behold, you don't have pain. So why aren't people thinking in terms first of the anti-inflammatories? Yeah, you know, non-addictive. You, know, you, you just don't need them. So I've seen so many people, my kid, whatever, you don't need to take them. Like you said, right. ibuprofen, it works. You know, well, and, and all that stuff works. You don't yeah, need to yeah. start on these, uh, these pain well, I've had my knee scope, a yeah. labrum slapped here. Sure. It was Motrin. I was yeah. I was, I was fine. fine. Yeah. So that was something that we talked about with Jeff Hatch mm-hmm. as well yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and Spencer from Granite Recovery. They basically highlighted the same thing, you know, Jeff's career in the NFL. And I'm sure, Kevin, you could relate to a lot of what he was saying, yes? Yeah, pills are used when you're hurt. Like, yeah, you use them. But actually, when you get healthy, you keep using them because you get addicted to them. And, and your body's sore when you're on, taking these pills for some reason. Then when you get off them, for me and Jeff, the way Jeff said it is, you're pain-free. Like, when you think when you're using the pills that you'd be pain-free. Yeah. But when you're using the pills, it's kind of catch me too because your brain is telling you you need these pills and when you don't have them you're sore it now d- that you're out of it right it's something that goes on in the brain it's yeah, like it's once the brain. doctor prescribes it to you or says that there's something yeah. wrong you might experience pain we automatically our brain's like protective mode and it's like okay you have pain like and like, there's no pain yeah it's just like a drug addict right if i'm yeah. sitting there I'm, and i'm and i'm withdrawing and the drug deal is on its way i'm fine yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. I don't even have them. Yet. I don't even have them. Yeah. Yet. yeah. Just the anticipation <laughs> of yeah. it. Yeah. I know everything's yeah. going to be good. It's a relief. <laughs> yeah. And don't forget that that applies to the guys, you know, who's stocking things at Home Depot. He wants to yeah. take it so he can keep going to work every day so he doesn't get fired and that, you know, he's got to feed his family. Yeah. So that's his reason. Which is why the construction industry has such a huge problem. Oh, the building trade. Huge yeah. problem. And the building, the building trade. trade. The unions. All the unions. Great discussion, guys. Yeah. Everybody, thank you. Thank you to Maria, Rick Sweeney, Willie, Alyssa, David Nassara behind the glass, and Kim Fro, and of course, Kevin. And thank you for, please visit our website at powerforward25.com and also visit us on Facebook and pod617.com. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to Crosscheck Radio with your host, two-time Stanley Cup winner Kevin Stevens. Join Kevin and his team each Saturday and Sunday as we try to remove the mask of addiction. If you or a loved one is suffering with substance use disorder, please call the Mass Substance Abuse Hotline at 1-800-327-5050. That's 1-800-327-5050. Or visit us at powerforward25.com for more information.